Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning, and we trust that you are here with us. Put your words in my mouth, that my words may be your words, and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Bible, we will confront a question that has confounded the world for at least three generations. I'm speaking, of course, of the question of whether Star Wars is science fiction or fantasy. Now, there are strong arguments on either side. There are robots, lightsabers, spaceships, and a real location, though it is in a galaxy far, far away that argue that Star Wars is science fiction. But there is also a mystical force, an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us, penetrates us, and binds the galaxy together. This seems to put the story squarely in the realm of fantasy. But the factor that argues most strongly in favor of Star Wars being more closely aligned with fantasy than with sci-fi is the structure of the story itself. Consider Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is a prototypical fantasy hero in that he has no idea for his entire childhood and youth that he is this chosen one who will be tasked with completing a great quest to save the galaxy. He grows up on a farm on the desert planet of Tatooine, the least special person in the least special place. And this is always how fantasy stories begin. It's also, just by the way, the reason that we love fantasy stories so much, because we often feel like the least special person in the least special place. And we think, we hope, that there's some small chance that we might be the chosen ones too. Maybe we have some secret power that we just need to be shown how to use and helped to tap into. It might happen tomorrow that Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up on our doorstep and tells us that we have a sacred quest that we have to complete. God, wouldn't that be wonderful? But this is how fantasy stories always go, right? The least important person in the least important place all of a sudden is told that not only are they not the least important person, in fact, they're the most important person. And they must complete the most important mission. And actually, they're a great sorcerer and have been this whole time. The force is strong with this one. But what is Luke's reaction? He says, I can't do that. I'm just a kid. I can't possibly fight the galactic empire. I have to stay and help my Uncle Owen harvest the crops. I can't make this journey. I can't go on this quest. I can't, I can't, I can't. 
And this is exactly the response of the prophet Jeremiah. You like that transition? Boom, right back into the Bible. (laughs) Jeremiah is a preacher's kid, the son of the local priest. He's minding his own business when the word of the Lord comes to him. And it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah, just like Luke Skywalker and all the fantasy heroes you've ever read about, says, Not me. I can't do that. Jeremiah's exact quote is, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. I can't do it, God. I'm just a kid. But it's at this point that we get our first major difference between the story of Jeremiah and our typical fantasy story. At first, the worry is the same, right? I can't do this. I'm just a kid. I'm too weak. That's really what they're always saying, our fantasy heroes and Jeremiah. I'm too weak to defeat the galactic empire. I'm too weak to be your prophet. Of course, this is what we say to God, too, when confronted with his word in our lives. I can't do that. I can't live up to the standard you've set for me. I can't do the things you've called me to do. I'm too weak. I'm not good enough. But here's the difference. In the fantasy stories, in Star Wars, the hero is never actually as weak as he first seems. He's actually a powerful wizard, a Jedi Knight. He just needs some training. Luke just needs to spend some time with that weird floating robot that shoots lasers at him. And by the end of the movie, Luke is destroying the Death Star with his eyes closed. Literally. All the weakness is gone. But what of Jeremiah? What of us? What training does Jeremiah have to undergo here? What training is there for us? Well, incredibly, no training at all. After Jeremiah protests that he's just a boy, the Lord says, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Here we have another profound difference. The hero in a fantasy story, Luke Skywalker, is given something incredible to do. But the follower of God, in this case, Jeremiah, is given something incredible to say. The Christian life, then, for us, for you and me, is not a a period of training to help prepare us to do wonderful deeds for God. No, 
The Christian life is the continued announcement of the wonderful deeds that God has already done for us. So let's unpack this quote-unquote word of God for just a second. We read that the word of God comes to Jeremiah and it says that he's going to put his words in Jeremiah's mouth. But the first thing that God says is, don't say I'm only a boy. Don't say I'm too young. Don't say I'm too weak. Counterintuitively, weakness turns out to be the key to the whole thing. As St. Paul says, God's power is made perfect in weakness. God might as well be saying, it's a good thing that you're young and weak. That's why I chose you. It's a good thing that you don't have anything to say. That's why I chose you. I know you're weak. I'm using my strength to accomplish this mission. I know you can't speak. I'm putting my words in your mouth. And that's exactly the next thing that God does say. Now I have put my words into your mouth. This is a great comfort to us. God is the actor here. I will be strong. You will speak my words. God is the actor and he puts his actions on the line for us. So God promises to put words into his servants' mouths. But what words is he putting in? What are God's words? And this is where we get a little nervous, right? God says, see, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms. Well, that sounds fun. We get to be appointed over nations and over kingdoms, but then it gets a little disconcerting. I put you there to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Okay, <laughs> pluck up and pull down, destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. We like those last two, don't we? <laughs> Building and planting. That sounds very Christian. God has appointed us to build relationships and plant the seeds of faith. That all sounds good, but what exactly is going on with this destroying and plucking up and pulling down and overthrowing? Today, says God, I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy, and to overthrow, and perhaps then to build and to plant. We seem to have two very different kinds of words here, do we not? Destructive words, like overthrow, pull down, and constructive words, build and plant. What we have in God's words to his servant, the words that he has put into Jeremiah's mouth, are the two different kinds of words that God speaks when he speaks to the world. We have called them many things, law and gospel, judgment and love, rules and promises, and here we call them destruction and construction. God's first word is one of judgment and destruction. He sends his prophets to pull down, to pluck up, to destroy and to overthrow, to get rid of everything in our lives that is not of him. 
He's going through the rooms of our hearts, and it's spring cleaning time. He's clearing out the cobwebs, taking out the garbage, and mopping the floor. And good heavens are our hearts in need of renovation. Later in his, in his book, Jeremiah writes about us humans. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, our deceitful hearts are the reason that God's first word is a word of destruction, of tearing down, a word of overthrowing. Our hearts, our self-centeredness, our envies, our lusts, our spite, these things need to be overthrown. This is why Jeremiah doesn't need training. Training is not going to cut it. We don't need to be trained. We need to be resurrected. Our hearts need to be plucked up and pulled down. They are deceitful above all things and desperately sick. They need to be destroyed. You and I are not secret Jedi Knights who just need a good training montage. We are broken down sinners in need of a new heart. And it's God's first word, his destructive word, that gives us this bad news. But God's first word is never God's final word. The good news is that after pulling down and plucking up, after destroying and overthrowing, there is always building and planting. In fact, you can't build and plant until you've destroyed and overthrown. Land must be cleared for new growth. We plant in the winter for harvest in the spring. You can't have resurrection until you've had crucifixion. Jesus said that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so we see again that weakness, our weakness is actually the key to the whole thing. Our weakness reminds us daily of our death, which is counterintuitively the avenue of Christ's power in our lives. Because honestly, who here doesn't feel weak? Who didn't wake up this morning wondering how they're going to make it through the week or even through the day? Who isn't wondering how they're going to work out that thing with their family? or how they're going to recover from that mistake they made at work, or how they're going to fix it with that person that they slept with but shouldn't have, or with the spouse they didn't sleep with but should have. Who isn't weak? But Jesus' church is a church for the weak. This is a church for the weak, a church for the pulled up and plucked down. A church for the destroyed, for the overthrown. We are ready for building and planting. And if we were in a fantasy story, if we were in Star Wars, if we were Luke Skywalker, it would be up to us. We'd have the force, we'd have the training, but it would be up to us to use it. Well, 
we have the gospel. But the gospel is not like the force. It's not something we have to be trained to use. It's not, in fact, something we have to use at all. We don't have to be careful to avoid the dark side. The gospel is not a means to an end. It is an end in itself. Fantasy heroes get great missions that must be accomplished. We get a great accomplishment that must be proclaimed. Remember God's first words to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. In the same way that God said to Jeremiah, I put my words in your mouth, he says to us, each one of us, I put my son in your place. So hear the good news to you this morning. The work of building and planting is already accomplished. Before I formed you in the womb, before you were born, I knew you, I consecrated you, I chose you, I sent my son for you, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. In that word, in that good news, destruction is reversed. And construction not only begins, but is brought to completion. Law and judgment are overcome. Grace and peace reign supreme. In that word, the final word of God to us, the whole good news is contained. That yes, we are weak, but Christ is strong. And in the same way that God puts his own words in his servant's mouth, he puts his own son, Jesus Christ, in our place, making him to be sin, so that we sinners might be called righteous, and giving him up to death, so that we might live. Amen.